Hey folks, hope your Q3 and Q4 is off to a good start. We just wrapped up Founder 500 in Austin, Texas. Hundreds of bootstrap founders showed up. It was an amazing time. I loved meeting so many of you. This interview today is a recording from that session, which you're going to love because now we have visuals, we have the founder teaching, and I made every single speaker include their revenue graphs and real artifacts in their presentations. Without further ado, let's jump in. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Please help in welcoming Purum Shada from on board to the stage. Hello, everybody. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to actually walk you through, uh, you know, what I would say probably the most unusual story here. Uh, we are all about uh, bootstrapping. Um, and I saw how many hands uh, went up. I'm going to walk you through going from bootstrapping to really getting to, uh, you know, uh, exits along the way, multiple bites of the apple, if you will, and still accurately sort of maintaining, uh, you know, uh, the chance to make the dent that you're after. So Parun Chara, Parun writes rhymes with Maroon. You'll remember my name now. Uh, we are in the board meeting business, a board meeting management business. Over the next 20 minutes, I'm going to actually walk you through, uh, you know, how we got started, you know, first product, really good success with that. And then, you know, went on to really kind of just monetize that through, uh, you know, first actually really took on debt to continue to bootstrap till we got to $15 million in ARR. Uh, along the way, I had to clean up the cap table. There were some non-performing, uh, you know, uh, co-founders, if you will, uh, that had to be, you know, managed. And that took a while. But at, at, at that point, I was able to, you know, take on some private equity money to accelerate the growth. And that proved the growth model. And then last year, we took uh, a bigger check from uh, a second private equity uh, transaction. Since then, we've actually gone on to do inorganic uh, transactions and acquisitions. It's a big focus as well. Um, so I'm going to walk you through this. And trust me, you know, uh, I am a bootstrapper at heart. I do want to actually kind of just salute each one of you guys who's doing this. It's extremely hard to show the discipline. But one of the things that I realized that you could be a bootstrapper for a fair amount of time and then still get to be venture back so you can actually see the acceleration that your product or your space truly deserves. So this is a brief uh, background of the company, the trajectory. I'll walk you through this. First off, I should say, you know, we started back in 2003. I've run, you know, the same company throughout. If you run into a problem that you can solve for the rest of your career, my advice would be to actually play the long ball and stay in it. Uh, investors and founders will come and go. You could still accurately run this. You could still accurately take some chips off along the way. That's one way to think about it. So our first product, was an employee collaboration product, Ensemble. Um, off to a fast start, it was bootstrapped, um, got onto the Inc. 500 list, and we were making money. We were actually, you know, be able to you know, take some distributions at the end of the year. This was, you know, me and my co-founder. Um, but there was one problem with it. In 2009, when the financial crisis happened, eight, nine timeframe, 
every single one of my customers was either a bank or a credit union, which meant we came to a screeching halt when it uh, you know, uh, came down to the sales cycles. So we had to think about what are we gonna do. At that point, we went from an employee collaboration product to a board meeting management solution, which is now the only product I offer. Uh, meanwhile, we continued down the path of taking the original product ensemble and making it into a cash cow, which funded the business, two, three million dollars every year. That money was plowed back into growing the onboard business. Along the way, my founders lost interest, uh, stuff happens, and we, we had to find a way to really kind of just, you know, come to terms with how will I actually bring that cap table to be unlocked. So I used debt and I used some of the, you know, crude capital to come up with a schedule to pay him off, pay the second uh, investor off, uh, and then actually went on to, you know, really kind of grow the product through the two rounds that I've done since. So I'm gonna walk you through that here. Uh, so first, you know, uh, first part of the presentation is about bootstrapping. Uh, the number one thing you have to think about is actually the product itself. Everything else won't matter. Financial engineering comes later. Uh, optimization comes later. You can think about everything else later and you can hire all of those pieces out until you actually nail the product, you won't really get too far with it. So if you're an early stage, you know, that's sort of, you know, what you focus on. Uh, the slide here is showing that we took a while to get to the revenue numbers. At this time, you know, we are growing, you know, 50% and we are actually fast growing. I would attribute most of that to the early stages when we were truly focused on the product. Um, I think not just uh, the product itself and making sure the product is adding value, you also have to make sure that you're getting customers of the same kind. Because if you get seven customers, all each one of them is using it differently, you don't really have a business yet, right? So to stay close to your ideal customer profile or to continuously evolve and fire the customers that don't belong there, this is the discipline that you have to be sure about in early stages. Um, definitely feel like, you know, um, the only uh, thing that I did very well was to stay. Every single one of those customers was a financial institution, I just told you, when, when the crisis hit us, right? Well, uh, we should have diversified, but frankly, it helped us build a product that was really good in a compliance-heavy industry, and eventually came handy to diversify elsewhere. Uh, I'll also talk about, you know, you know I, I often talk about being able to explore and exploit at the same time. As a founder, CEO, you have to be ambidextrous, but once you find your niche, you gotta exploit it. And don't get distracted at that time to explore new things, right? You still have to do some exploration because you have to think about what's next, but that's a pretty key part to bootstrapping well. Um, I'd also talk a little bit about, you know, when we went into the financial services industry, there were other verticals, other sectors that came open, healthcare, nonprofits. These are compliance-driven industries. So we eventually went there and certainly used some of the equity that we'd built in the financial services industry. Uh, you know, public, uh, publicly listed companies, all of these are customers at this point, but that, going back to how we started in the financial services industry, I have 600 banks as customers today. And that accurately kind of just, you know, gives you a lot of credibility. I'll talk a little bit about that. Finally, you know, the product, um, the best growth hack will always be an amazing product. A product that accurately 
wows every single user. And that's still the goal uh, for a big part of the organization. This is uh, you know, sort of our board product. If you run a board and you want to be excellent uh, you know, in your boardroom delivery, it's an, an inexpensive product. It'll force you to think about you know, your board meetings and what you get out of your board uh, intentionally. Most organizations today actually really are dealing with what you see here on this slide, you know, a bunch of different uh, digital duct tape helping you get your board decks out. And uh, if you want to get intentional, get really good in the boardroom, which by the way has huge returns, right? Your investors gain in confidence, you are deal ready all the time, then you'll actually look at a product like this. That was the goal. There are two things that drive us at onboard. And this is sort of, you know, you have to be that clear with your team. The first one is we want to make sure that we build everything within the platform, everything that a board needs to do, not just the board book delivery, the board assessment, the DNO questionnaire, you know, CEO review, um, you know, all approvals, everything should be right there. Minutes routing should be within, within the platform. So that's the first big heuristic that we are clear about. The second heuristic is we want to make sure that the first, I call this FTOX, first time user experience is an absolute uh, amazing one which means when a new director gets your product they should be wowed we can implement our product within the same day so if you had a board meeting uh, this evening and you called us in the morning we'll be able to implement that and your director should be able to run with it and your first meeting itself uh, will go off seamlessly that focus is extremely important when you're building uh, you know the product in the early stages once you do that and that comes only, uh, that comes about only if you built amazing relationship with customers. Other speakers have talked about this. In my case, my first customer uh, was also somebody who gave us infrastructure. We used their office. They also advised a lot on operations side. How do you get compliance certifications and such? And eventually, they became my date partner. When I talked about buying back my co-founder, my first customer, since this was a financial institution. They helped me figure out a loan, which allowed me to buy back my partner. So you can get a lot out of your early customers. They're emotionally invested just like early employees. Um, the question really comes down to, what are you gonna solve for with them? Uh, they're your early board, if you will. In our case, lots of things came out, came out of this. So for example, all our early customers uh, became advocates for us to go sign up these partnerships. So what you're seeing here is partnerships we signed up in different sectors. There's one in credit union industry, there's one in the banking industry, there's one in the university space and so on. So we've used a lot of um, customer credibility to sign up partnerships, which actually then give you more credibility in the market. And that's how you go about doing this cycle. So nail the product, gets the the partnerships, at least in our case, it's a very vertical sales cycle that we have. So we are uh, you know, focused on lining up the partners for it. So I'm gonna switch gears here and talk a little bit about the, you know, where you need institutional capital. So once you build good partnerships, you have a good product, you start to get into, and in my case, there was debt to be paid off, right? You know, there was debt because I'd bought back my co-founder in the business and the other partner as well. Taking on debt, if you're married and there's whole family and the greater family, everybody's gonna be like, you are crazy. You should do something about this, right? There's all kinds of other pressure that comes at you. So I wanted to clean slate this if I could. That was the first reason why I thought I should take institutional capital. 
Secondly, I think you know, taking on some capital allows you to really truly think about how high you could fly. Like in my case, opening up an office in UK, in Australia, in Canada, by just test marketing in a single salesperson to see if those markets grow, which they have all grown by the way. We have hundreds of customers overseas now. Without institutional capital, it would have taken me that longer. Uh, getting to really invest in the team, the talent density goes up astronomically after you've raised money you know, with some big valuation numbers or big checks because people want to come and work uh, at your firm and you're inviting your friends as well. Um, so I think you, know, you really get a chance to think about the organization that will truly scale. I talk about building a championship team uh, and that's what it comes down to. You know, it's a, it is actually uh, important for you to have a top class revenue team, you know, uh, a real solid data team and all the other teams that you are thinking about. Being able to build that, you know, capital helps. Certainly, I think you know, you, you'll realize when you bootstrap, you're growing, your, your goal is to break even at a higher and higher number every year. That's essentially what you're doing. By taking institutional capital, when you look at that business, which is fundamentally very solid, and you pour in some fuel on it, you'll just see the acceleration happen. And I wanted to see that happen. So the first check was accurately only $5 million on the balance sheet. I did take some uh, you know, secondary off just to really kind of just ease the pain. And I'll talk about that a little bit uh, because it's been a long journey. And there were a lot of employees and myself, we, we were accurately doing this for a fair amount of time. It, it allowed us to invest in the product innovation cycle. So ideas that were accurately truly risky and out there, they often don't get funded in a bootstrap mode. Being able to take some of those bits, uh, those bets who have the, which, which actually naturally have the best returns, that was a key part of it. So for me, actually doing all of that, the first round of you know, uh, capital came from 5M's uh, Kansas-based group, amazing group to work with. It allowed us to get to this stage. What you see here is uh, you know, focused on different verticals, getting a bunch of customers, different clusters of customers in different verticals, really allows you to be uh, thinking about world-class delivery, being the best platform. And once you've proven this model by taking on some capital, it gives you a chance to really kind of just do other things. For example, analytics on all these you know, um, sectors, benchmarking, applying AI to all of this. These things were just not possible in a bootstrap mode. The goal of being bootstrapped should be to accurately make sure that you have a model that really well, but you should also keep an eye on when you've outlived that cycle. Because that, that happen. We wanted to do not just board meeting, but also other board related uh, workflows, the annual cycle, assessments and such, you know, skills matrix, you know, uh, ESG matrix and things like that, that required us to raise money. So when we did actually get to raise money, uh, we raised 100 million uh, last year. Uh, that's a significant check. Uh, I heard somebody say mm -mm here, that's exactly right. Uh, everybody you know, around you will certainly accurately call you, right? What the hell just happened, right? But that is accurately fundamentally uh, a moment of truth in your life because you realize you can pretty much do most things you've wanted to do now, right? So I want to talk a little bit about you know, how you prep for that cycle. Um, and then, you know, 
uh, why is secondary was uh, important. So taking some money off was extremely important. I was just having this conversation with you back there. The team had stayed with me for a very long time. I wanted to take some real money off as well. Uh, when you really find lots of folks around you in your team have made their first six-figure, seven-figure checks and they work with you, it will completely change the culture. You don't have to worry. There's a proven culture of financial rewards, extraordinary rewards, outsized rewards that can happen just by being in that company. So people don't have to go work elsewhere. I think for me, it was actually also about um, getting to you know swing with a heavier bat, right? You can really swing for the fences. So when you take some money off, personally, you'll feel I will actually really change you know, the way board meetings are run. What's the board meeting of 2030? Let me go after that uh, construct. So those are some of the things to think about as you think about uh, you know, uh, taking on some money. I will say you know, a uh, fundamental thing before you raise money is to make sure that you, hear, you nail the unit economics. It's just not gonna scale if the unit economics are bad, whether they are you know, your CAC or you know, uh, your payback period, you know, retention rate, all of those. So for me, uh, the fundraising cycle was a very short one. It was just a week and a half. Uh, but all the work went in prior to that, where, you know, the business was fundamentally solid. We knew that there was lots of market opportunity we'd proven, the TAM was well-developed. In fact, I spent, you know, no less than two, three weeks just working on the TAM analysis. The TAM analysis should be done extremely well. Um, simply because big investments only come in big markets. So unless you have a huge potential, nobody's gonna write a big check. So think about that and spend a disproportionate amount of time just figuring out your TAM. I also you know, prepped really hard as to what would be my gro uh, growth thesis and the one that my then current board shared with me. So when I went out, I turned the question around to every one of the firms I was talking to. This was a self-run process. What would you do with this firm if you were actually you know, partnering with me on the same side of the table in the boardroom? And I sat and I listened to what they had. And I got the chance to think about you know, five, six different really awesome takes. And then I could actually figure out which ones would be the, the best group to work with, where the culture fit would be. So to build your growth thesis and to test it out, that is a golden opportunity to do that. These are the slides, they're available on the key fob. They, this was literally just, that's the deck. I intentionally kept it very, very, you know, um, to the point. You know, the overall business, the TAM and the market sizing exercise, how we get our customers, what's the go-to-market motion, proof points on why it's gonna be hugely creative. And then certainly, uh, you know, details about competition, how we're gonna accurately outsmart and outflank everybody. Slide on the team, and then a slide that talks about what change we are after in this world, right? And how would we accurately change the way uh, boards operate? And finally, uh, our unique, uh, you know, uh, selling proposition, why us and not anybody else has the best shot in going after this. So once you do that, you, uh, in, at least in my case, I should say, we got several term sheets. In fact, I should go two slides back real quick here. Um, you know, uh, we ran a process ourselves. You know, uh, the process piece is on the far right there. 
Um, number one, we were transparently talking about, you know, internally, hey, we're going to raise money, we're going to do this. Internally, everybody knew about this. Even the board, you know, helped in, in you know, working to that moment. Once we decided we we're going to go to the market, the deck was actually nothing. The story kind of sold itself. Um, you know, the use of funds was the easiest thing ever. Actually, it's not there on the slide because I wanted to ask them, how would you spend the money? That was a big part of it. We did have real, you know, supporting slides. Slides. Uh, I only quoted firms that showed a lot of interest. They were all using our product in their portfolio, so it made it a little easier for me. But in the meanwhile, uh, investors that show true interest in you, I remember CVC, they're, they're a big uh, uh, PE firm. They helped me with the TAM analysis. I asked them, hey, I can't actually figure out how many boards are there in every part of the world. They literally actually gave me their analyst to work with them, you know, for next two, three Do this. Firms will do that if they're interested in you. So that's a good way to test things out. But eventually, you know, I focused on the fit and partnership, but I also actually had, you know, we are going to close this round by next week. These are the terms on which you should actually, uh, you know, give me the term sheet. So I only wanted down the fairway kind of terms. Terms are just as important as the valuation, in fact, if not more. So everybody had to give me their valuation based on our terms. And that was a key part of shortening this cycle because we don't have the time to really kind of run a three month process to raise money, right? The shorter the cycle, the easier it is for you to actually live up to the promises you're making. So when you do all of this, you actually get to do a lot of fun stuff downstream. Since we've raised money, these are some of the things that uh, we have done, added a lot of talent, um, thought of you know, what, what the product should look like in the next you know, four, five, six years. Certainly, we've done uh, in a lot more on building and supporting the exec team, uh, running a board meeting solidly, as you, you imagine, you know, we have to We've added an audit committee, a compensation committee, and certainly, you know, recently we just added an M&A committee. We've started to do these acquisition conversations much more rigorously internally. Every two weeks we are meeting. Uh, this is the first acquisition we did. Uh, essentially paid, you know, uh, a multiple, which was certainly, you know, <clears throat> how, at what multiple you raise your money is gonna play into where you can acquire others. Because you wanna make sure that you are instantly accurately creative in these transactions. So think about that. If there are other companies that you want to acquire downstream, what multiple would they trade at? That would give you the multiple that you should shoot for and what you could be comfortable with. I do believe, uh, you know, working through um, the COVID cycle was an interesting one just because you couldn't meet them. That was a tough part of doing an acquisition last year. You really had to do this remotely most of the times. And then while we're deploying capital into onboard business, we also had to think about now integrating a team, 60 people team out of Toronto. That really tested us as well. Uh, so think about some of those pieces. Uh, the key lessons here, when you do an acquisition, which is more than 20% of your ARR, it's gonna test you. You almost need to hire execs ahead of that transaction. When you go from a founder-led organization and you try to digest that company, you'll have to change the incentive structure very quickly. The founders will likely make you know, good money, their way of thinking will adjust. They need a little time to adjust to the new context. But think about this, every single employee in that company, all their customers, all their partners, they all need to be really thought about ahead of the transaction. All of that has to happen in a very short 30, 45 day time period. So we've realized that for the next acquisition, we've started to run this M&A committee really well. Uh, 
this is one of the most rigorous parts of my business now because we do want to grow inorganically. That was the whole point of taking on this capital. So yeah, over in the last 20 minutes, <clears throat> I've, uh, 20, 25 minutes, I've spent uh, sharing my story. These are the three important things to take away. First of all, stick with a niche. Niches will bring riches. Certainly, you know, I can uh, you know, attest to that. If you have 200 customers in the same vertical, you're going to be more uh, investable than have actually being spread over lots of different verticals. Number two, when you want to actually explore, you know, you want to actually first make sure your unit economics are right. Once you nail it, it's easy to scale it. And lastly, you know, if you stay in the game long enough, uh, and I certainly feel like I, I am doing my part on that end, you will find that the best in your field will want to go uh, become part of your journey. You'll be able to acquire a lot of these companies. A lot of these founders have looked at you for a while. So the goal here is to play long ball. Uh, and if you do that and add that, uh, you know, and add being excellent in the boardroom, which we can be good partners for, we'd love to actually help you get there. I think this could be a lot of fun. Thank you. That's uh, how we did it at Onboard.